0: Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk. I am Megan O'Hare, a Research Associate at UCL and also at the Office for the National Director for Dementia Research, and I'm pleased to be hosting this podcast today with our special guests, Professor Bart Destropa, Director at the UK DRI, and Professor David Llewellyn from the University of Exeter and the Alan Turing Institute. And uh, we're going to be talking today about joining forces Uh, but with a particular focus on the use of artificial intelligence and big data. So I'm going to say probably most of you have heard of the UK Dementia Research Institute or the UK DRI, but um, here's a quick succinct summary that I basically just lifted from their website. Uh, So launched in 2017, the UK DRI is the single biggest investment the UK has ever made in dementia thanks to £290 million from the three founding funders, the Medical Research Council, the MLC, Alzheimer's Society and Alzheimer's Research UK. Um, So the UK DRI breaks new ground by bringing together world leading expertise in biomedical care and translational dementia research in a national institute currently made up of over 600 researchers plus 150 students and a support team of over 50 people. And I think it's uh, six or seven sites. It's I think six, six sites sides, and then. Six
1: sites and seven centres. So, in yes, that's two it. Centres, a care and tech and a, and a basic research centre.
0: Yeah. And uh, so, as we can see from that or hear from that, the UK DRI is a massive organisation, but it is also part of the wider UK dementia research landscape and knows the value of good collaboration. And that's. Basically, part of what we're going to talk about today is um, collaboration and partnerships and how important they are, especially in dementia research. So uh, the ambitious new partnership that we're going to be talking about today is between the UK DRI and the Deep Dementia Phenotyping Network, so the DEMON Network, and that's why we've got uh, David on today and this partnership aims to harness data science and artificial intelligence to full advantage in order to rapidly speed up the transformation of data into clinical and biologically relevant knowledge in neurodegeneration research. So I am delighted to introduce our two guests. Hello. Hi. Hi
2: Hi, Megan. (laughs)
0: Hi, hi. they are here really with me. (laughs) Um, So maybe we can start with you, Bart, by asking you to introduce yourself a bit about your background and how you ended up being the director of the UK DRI.
1: Well, that could be a very long story, but uh, (laughs) uh, I'm an Alzheimer researcher for for a long time. Um, And um, I was working in Belgium, in Leuven, uh, created here a a center uh, focusing on neuroscience and Alzheimer's. But then um, uh, in 2016, actually, uh, I got the news that um, that u k wanted to launch this fantastic initiative, and uh, it 's a long dream of me to to get things working together and and, and to get researchers working together and i 'm also already dreaming for 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 the from the very beginning to get the same attention for dementia uh, as for cancer so for cancer, we have all these fantastic research research centers, the most exciting new fundamental research is immediately applied and People don't realize, but there are close to 50 million people with dementia in the world and there are close to 50 million, it's even less, 40 million with cancer. So the problem medically is, is equally big. And so that's why I thought when, when UK did this call, uh, this is something I want to do in the last part of my career. And uh, so I applied and uh, yeah, well, the rest of the story is what on the bridge, I would say, or, or is a long story. Um, but uh, I, I, ended, uh, I ended with being offered that position and I felt very honoured and so I moved into it. And now, three years later, it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing institute. We have now 60, about 60 group leaders, very young ones. We attracted them from all over the world. Um, uh, we attracted them from different, different disciplines. And so the machine is starting to run and COVID has been a big problem, but even under COVID, times we are still still progressing now we are looking around for collaborations because that's one of the main messages we got uh, of course an institute of 600 is big but you cannot do all the research and so now we are we have now we are now at that institute and now we are reaching out and trying to find all the other fantastic research happening in uk and to to link ourselves to them and so data science and and artificial intelligence is obviously a big big need
0: yeah, I think uh, when he said working together, I, um, I think the, that's why the UK DRI is um, just such a fantastic place because, like I said at the beginning, it brings in biomedical care and translational research and that's sort of how you dream that a uh, dementia research institute would be, bringing all those bits together, you know, the, what if we could do this and it is doing that and it's working really well and When I went to write the little blurb about it, I wrote, I took it from the website and it said 350 researchers. Then I got picked up on that and it's already grown to 600.
1: I told told our web web person that he had to update this.
0: Yeah, yeah, he
1: does. But that's the nice thing with the starting institute. uh, It changes every three months. Everything changes. Mm. It's it's an exciting time. The COVID is really, really, um, uh, how do you call it, cold water on, on the whole machine, but... But it's so strong that that I, I we are still working and, and uh, we will we will grow we will get there. And so the, yeah. the the other thing is it's a virtual institute. So um, uh, you have to see it as one building. But every every center every layer is placed in one or another in another university. So it's really by purpose because that gives us also outreach to what happens in those universities. So that's also an example of the collaborative uh, aims of the institute.
0: Yeah, so that... Not all
1: this knowledge in one centre, we keep it where it was and we strengthen it and we try to bring these centres with working with each other together.
0: Yeah, and that's sort of where, David, you come in, although you're not part of the UK DRI, you are a, what would you call it, A, a network that's also national and you're being brought in as another (laughs) Piece of the <laughs> yeah, a well, piece we, of the jigsaw puzzle.
2: Yeah, I'm, I think you're right in the sense that it's all about collaboration and innovation, Megan. Um, we, we did set it up initially as a national network, but it, we had so many inquiries from uh, people in, um, a, a, across the globe that um, the Demon Network is now truly uh, an international network. Um, I mean, we... We started it because of our frustration about the way that things were happening in silos. And, and some of what you said, Bart, it kind of resonates with what we were thinking a couple of years ago as well. Um, and we're looking at the the research landscape in the UK, but, but also globally and what the gaps are and what we thought the opportunities were. And I was um, I, I got a fellowship at the Alan Turing Institute where obviously the focus is, is a lot on innovation methodologically and how to use data and the, the potential of AI and machine learning. And I was talking to Carol Routledge, who was director of research at Alzheimer's Research UK at the time. And um, we, was, we started to see a, a change in the kinds of applications that were being submitted. So people were saying that they were going to use you know, big data or they were going to use different approaches. Um, and they were really interesting. But they, they normally didn't have the right kind of teams. They were talented biomedical researchers that weren't really talking to the computer scientists or the data mm-hmm. scientists. And um, and often there weren't clinicians involved in the projects as well. So sometimes we were a bit concerned with the, the clinical relevance with what was being done. Um, so from a really selfish perspective, we we decided that in our own work and, and, and in the way we wanted to work with other people, that we wanted something different. We wanted a different way of working. And um, and we were lucky in that we, we we got seed corn funding from the Alan Turing Institute first of all to to start something. And we we we've always envisaged it um, being around a, a, a an infrastructure for people. So other in other major initiatives. Um, obviously, we have the DRI, but we have other things as well, like dementia 's platform u k which provides uh, complementary infrastructure making data more easily available and we thought wouldn 't it be amazing if we set up something which was a, a kind of platform for, uh, for, uh, for the the talent and, and the innovators to come together and and it was the idea initially wasn 't really very. Well formed. I mean, as I say, it started off as a, a we would build something that would become a national network, and it. But it's kind of evolved. We only we only launched in November, and um, and just yesterday we had our six hundredth uh, member join the network. So it's amazing how quickly it's grown, and we we're recruiting uh, lots of different positions to help drive that agenda forward. We've got things like practical working groups, um, but uh we were delighted to officially partner with the DRI because uh, we we have got a global network of innovators who are are fascinated by doing things differently. We want to achieve things like disease-modifying treatments in dementia. I mean, it you can you can mope about and. And be quite depressed if you 're a dementia researcher, and you know we've we 've continued to to fail and, and we we just have an appetite to do things differently so that 's why we 're so excited to to work with the DRI and and to work and to work with others as well but it 's all about getting out of those traditional silos and doing things differently.
0: So you said um, it sort of started with you were getting applications from sort of biochemists, biologists and with great ideas, but didn't have the right people behind them or know the right people sort of thing. So is it sort of that the Demon Network is kind of a, a matchmaking with big data scientists or do you, you know, can anyone join or is it that you have a pool of big data scientists that can be... Yeah, no.
2: No, we deliberately, I mean, it's designed to encourage collaboration and new ideas, dangerous ideas. So we want people to join who don't know anything about dementia. Maybe they know all about uh, transfer learning, or other forms of machine learning, or artificial intelligence. Maybe they've got novel methods and actually want to collaborate with other people who know all about dementia. Or There's just different ways of doing things. And and I think without genuine diversity, you really struggle to get new ways of working in place. So no, it's completely open, and we have we have a, a public patient involvement group. We have a clinical advisory group. There's lots of resources that we can develop. We're, we're you know we have early career research leads. We have you know we the ambition is to develop resources, um, learning materials, working groups. We've. We'll be launching our monthly lecture series um, very shortly, and, uh, and 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 we're doing that in partnership with the DRI, so that every other um, every other seminar series is is going to be directly relevant to to DR, the DRI. So we're thinking about practical ways to get people working together differently, and it may <laughs> be that you you know all about computational biology, but you you don't know a lot about um, maybe the patient pathway for dementia patients or you know people will go off in different directions and they and they won't be interested in something, and and that's okay you know we we just want to we just want to mix things up and see what happens really.
0: Yeah you mentioned a couple of times about having clinicians on board and how important that is and um, I don't actually think at the UK DRI there are there's not a clinical
1: section is there? There is, there is, there is? I think Okay. think half of our directors are active clinicians mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and we have a lot of, of, of clinical uh, people who have a position in the clinic and also do them research in the DRI. So it's also a very broad, a broad institute. We have a focus on disease but we approach it from all corners. So, what we miss at the moment is basically what Daemon is going to give us, Uh, that's a very strong data science um, unit. We are building that. So, we are going to recruit a data science director and we are building a whole team around. And then we have also a couple of group leaders who have started a bioinformatics data science team throughout the DRI where we will standardize our, our data collection, where we will make it possible to access each other's data. There's a lot of, of groundwork which has to be done to make that all effective, and we'll do that in collaboration with the with Damon, of course. So yeah, I mean, we have a lot of clinical data in the DRI. We have also our care and tech uh, center, uh, which is all about patients. So that, uh, that's um, researchers which go, we have even our own houses and uh, people with dementia uh, coming in, and then we, we we follow those patients over over weeks or or, or months even uh, with all kinds of tools um, uh, modern uh, modern recording tools and and, and uh, for uh, to see how we can help these patients with with, with their life at home et etc so one of the things I find fascinating uh, i 'm a southern MD, so you know that with these uh, patients which have which, which are have dementia one of the most frequent problems which requires hospitalization is infection because these patients are diagnosed much too late they are extremely sensitive for that and so if you can record that very early before they become really sick you can avoid hospitalization and a lot of confusion and so one of the projects there is to to have a special stick in the in the toilet uh, linked to an alarm system, so that once there are bugs in the urine, there can be immediately a warning signal, and we can have the, the home, the, the, the nurses or so which come at home, can immediately start the treatment. So these simple things are also part of the DR. So people always think that we do this extremely, and we do that, is extremely groundbreaking, cutting-edge uh, um, uh, in molecular biology and gene therapy and, and this type of things, but also this type. Of research is very important, and so the real challenge is to link all this information. So, can we because it's all part of the same picture? And so I, I'm myself a molecular biologist, so for me, it's not obvious to see how that has to be done. And I think that people who are real good in, in data science don't think about urinary infections with with uh, in old you know, people or have no clue how that could be influenced by by genetics of these patients or by, by, by the disease process itself. So that's things which we understand. But we, we don't understand how we can bring all this data we are generating in molecular biology and in the clinics, how we can integrate that in a coherent model for, for, for Alzheimer's disease or, or another dementia form. And so, so that's, for me, the big challenge to do. And that's where we look for partners.
0: Yeah, I think in the beginning, one of the key things was transformation of data into clinical and biologically relevant knowledge. And that's sort of the bit, isn't it? The joining together of those things.
1: Yeah, it goes in two directions. That's really also, I I liked to hear from David, uh, that some of these people busy busy with data, they generate models. And sometimes, my feeling is in many, many cases, actually, that it comes out of the blue. They come up with this type of, of model based on all the data. But what I'm saying, crap out, and, and, and even, even if the data scientists say a lot of data, you will always find something, I agree. But I'm still in that motto, crap in, crap out. So if you really understand very well where the data are coming from, if there's quality checks there, if you, if you go a little bit with, with us to understand what we are doing, then you as a data scientist will much, much, so much better models. And it's a reiter- reiteration. So you talk while you're analyzing those data. What does that mean? I don't get it. Is this, this the way I should understand this? You get this kind of co- conversation while, while you are doing your data science. And we as biologists get this conversation while you are developing that model. We, get, we can give input and we can understand the way you reason. And that's where new knowledge will, will, will come.
0: I mm. actually, when we uh, got given the topic for this podcast, thought to myself, I should probably actually work out what artificial intelligence is. Obviously, we use the word a lot, and you think of that Will Smith film. Um, but uh, so I had a look around, and there's the Turing test. Uh, which is basically the test of a machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. But I wondered, because you're both coming at it from different places, how you view AI and how you think it will impact dementia research? Maybe David, we'd start with you.
2: Well, it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to pin down because it, obviously it means different things to different people. But I think in it... In its broadest sense, artificial intelligence is the idea that we will we'll create machines that think for themselves and are able to exhibit intelligent characteristics without, um, without us pulling levers and manually inputting and, and, and prodding and poking them into what, what they should be doing. And the most ambitious form of artificial intelligence is the sort of creation of a new digital sentient being which will take over the world and, and enslave us. And and that's the that that's the thing that that some people worry about, you know, the, the point at which machines don't just match our performance but start to exceed our performance. So that's that's the that, that is a fascinating and 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 yet and as yet unachieved ambition that not everyone thinks we should, should be aiming for either. I don't think many people are arguing that we've we've created a a, a super intelligent yet, but um, it's possible. It's possible. Uh, you know, but I, I think to to many people, artificial intelligence is is um is a more down to earth. Uh, it. it it's something about, I think, machine learning really, where we've trained machines up to do narrower tasks very well. And we've already seen computers outperforming humans with many things. I mean, there, there are famous examples of thinking computers that are performing really well at chess, or AlphaGo, and and those kinds of games. And, and it's easiest to do, obviously, with, uh, with things which have very defined rules. Um, and that's where you'll get the progress most quickly. If, how does that translate to something a lot messier and more complicated and, uh, and less cerebral, like dementia itself? You know, We have an aging population, messy and overlapping pathologies that are themselves not completely understood. And then we try and model people's lifespans and understand how these cognitive deficits start to accumulate um, often in a delayed way in response to the accumulation of pathology. And then layer on top the additional complexity that that even if we understood what was going on completely, which I think it's fair to say we don't, then it doesn't tell us automatically how to intervene. So we think about how to apply these kind of intelligent approaches to things like drug discovery and clinical trials. And and so the, the application of machine learning is, is a very practical way of applying a limited form of artificial intelligence. I think that's my take on it though, that artificial intelligence means to, it's this kind of spectrum relating to, you know, how ambitious what you're trying to achieve with it is.
0: I think the classic ones are sort of using it to um, analyze brain scans and, you know, use it over time to track people's um, progress. Um, ultimately also to start to predict earlier on in the disease pathway certain things. And that obviously comes with machine learning. Um, So, mean, you're right.
2: Imaging imaging has been uh, an early success story for machine learning. Um, But it's often been used in other areas first. I mean, Bart was quite right, and he's saying you know, looking to other disciplines and aiming for us to match or exceed what they're able to do in cancer and so on. And, and things like deep neural networks have been, you know, used to analyze images and detect skin cancer with comparable or even superior performance than dermatologists. I mean, those kind of examples, are, you can build narrow intelligences, which are essentially more data driven models. Um, but they don't tell you that they're very superficial models in one sense they're very useful but they don't tell you why things are happening typically and in terms of biological mechanisms and i think that resonated with what what you said before Bart, about you know going beyond just a purely data-driven approach i don't think we're very good at developing causal models because i think what we do is we detect patterns in the data um but Often the data aren't sufficient to allow us to unpack causal questions. There's um, some really neat things we can do by using, say, genetics and genetic variation as as essentially a form of natural uh, randomized control trial for exposures and so on. So there's so much more that we've we've yet to even think of how how to uh, how to do things differently. I mean. I think we're we're taking baby steps at the moment in terms of what's possible.
0: I guess that's where the collaboration is key, isn't it? That you maybe know how to utilise AI, but wouldn't, or uh, looking for the right question. And that's where the collaborations come in as the Arts Centre will come up with the
1: questions. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's an interactive way, these things, Uh, it's not, that's always the problem if you are in unknown territory, there is not one guide who knows exactly the way because it has never been charted. So, so I see it more as, a, as an interactive process where we have some idea, say, let's go in that direction because we believe, basically, that that's a good direction. But while you're walking, you're probably going to another direction because you all of a sudden start to see how the landscape evolves. So, so that's one take. The second take is that I think it's really high time that artificial, intelligent data science. I don't know how it's in the cancer field, but in the dementia field, it's, it's very frustrating. Um, so um, I think that data science becomes very rapidly, easily, and it's the same with genetics, to be honest, becomes very descriptive. So what, what's very good in data science, and that's what I hope they will help us, is to recognize patterns in data, which are complicated, that we are not able to see that with normal human brain, human eye and but where these patterns are still clearly present so that's one thing which i i love and i would say is artificial intelligence because you use a certain certain learning from people uh and that is fed to the machine and the machine is unable to in- to to find algorithms which mimic that learning and then able to apply it to thousands of data points while your brain is only able to do that to 50 data points and then you get much clearer and much crisper insights into what happens. That's what biologists do the whole time when they do when they generate biologists are, are, are fascinated by data. They do experiments and they have all this data and they're very happy. And then when they want to make a paper, they try to find the pattern in those data and that's that's what they call call insight. And so there I think artificial intelligence is going to help us a lot. Um, but it's also the limitation because even when when you see a pattern and you describe that, you are still not really understanding what's happening there, and that's where my training as molecular biologist becomes very strong. We are very, very much focused on mechanisms. So for us, the biggest thing is if you understand how a protein is has a structure and how it interacts with another protein, and how then that activates how, how muscle moves, etc. So so that's for us real insight. And once we have that insight, it becomes rather easy to to interfere because we we see how the motor is working. And then we can see if we change that little thing, maybe we can we can cure a disease or whatever. So I think the data scientists are happy when they have that pattern and say, look, according to that pattern, if you push here, the pattern will move in that direction. While the molecular neurobiologist wants to know why if you push a little bit here, you make a mutation here why exactly mechanistically that changes and so that's why why these two fields are so different it's like like morphologists pathologists and molecular neurobiologists too pathologists are very happy with the disease that they can see in their microscope but for us neuro molecular biologists yeah i mean it doesn't mean nothing if there is an amyloid plaque there what what's the molecules there what what's happening there so i think that Combining these two approaches, this more descriptive pattern recognition approach, allows you to, 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 to get much faster and deeper into complex uh, mechanisms. So the, the disadvantage of molecular biology and how it's done at the moment is that it's very simplistic. We use, uh, we use uh, uh, I am now, of course, radicalizing it a little bit. Uh, apologize to my colleagues, but we take a cell we, we put the DNA in it, we express the protein, and now we see things happening, of course. And now we think that's biology. Of course, biology is much more complicated. Um, you need to, to and, and, and that, so the next step in, in molecular biology was, if I'm boring you, please interrupt me. The next step was the mouse stuff, where we changed the gene, and then we saw all things changing in the mouse, and we say we understand the gene. But of course, then, then we see that doesn't translate into to dementia, because if you think about dementia, that's a very complicated process. First of all, dementia is a symptom. It's very bad to call dementia a disease. Uh, but that's another discussion. But then you start to think about how a human brain works. First of all, there is no good model for a human brain. Second, you have all this genetic background which plays, which you cannot mimic in a model. You can only mimic that in a human, uh, the, genetic, the genetic diversity of a population. And so then we start to understand this, and that's why molecular biology is developing single cell analysis, this single-cell analysis, this more complex organoid models, blah, blah, blah. But that faces us now with the problem. You get all this data now, and we are, of course, very excited, but we don't understand them anymore because we, we, we don't have this cause-consequence relationship anymore. And so there, the pattern, the pattern specialists Will be happy, or will be very helpful to say, look, if you look to this data in this way, um, there, there's like, a cost, there there is there is a correlation between those things, and that's the big thing, correlation that you have to remember. That's the problem with descriptive science. That's what you have when you do MRIs, when you do clinical work. You can, The best thing you can do is correlative correlation. But once you have defined that, you create a hypothesis. And that mm-hmm. hypothesis can be back-tested by molecular biologists. Because then you can say, OK, if this correlation holds true and we take out this or this piece of the, of, the, of the correlative network, we would predict that this or this happens. And if we can prove that this happens, then we know that the correlation is probably a causal relationship. Mm. And we are home. All we can tell to the data scientist, look, guys, it's very nice. You make here a causal relationship, or you suggest a, a correlation, or a, and many suggest causal relationships. You suggest that, but if we take it out, we just get the reverse effect, and that happens. And so that's interesting, because the data scientists never hear about that 10 years later. And so in this case, because we read different journals, but in this case, in the demo network, You have predicted something to this biologist who is going to take it to the test. And of course, you as a data scientist want to know what happens, whether your prediction holds true. And the biologist will come back and say, no, this is not not holding true. And the data science will go back to his machine and artificial intelligence and everything to see whether maybe that pattern is a little bit different. That's Mm -hmm. what's going to happen.
2: the key principle there is testability, isn't it? Yes. So whatever type of model or prediction you're making, yes. if it's not testable, then it's not going yeah. to fuel progress ultimately. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I and then, mean, I love, that. I love that idea of going yeah. backwards and forwards and test, uh, challenging each other in a, yes. in a nice constructive way, yeah. yes. but nevertheless yeah, yeah. challenge. Yeah. Um, when I don't think we should fall into the trap of assuming that all data science is going to be just descriptive, you know what I no. mean? Um, but a lot of it has been. But I see, I, I, think see
1: that it, I see an evolution there. So of course you' yes. we'll have to make a model then and say it's predictive. And so certainly for dementia fields, we don't have much predictive models. So mm-hmm. I think you need this confirmation and this, this testing of your models before you become really um, they call it, uh, uh, um, uh, functional. Because I think at a certain moment, that's, of course, the goal of this type of things, that you get an, an in silico model of the disease. And that's, that will be, it's probably the only way to, to, to get all the data integrated. Because uh, in our animal models, we, we are always limited for the reasons I'm saying. But so if give you sufficient tests of the different steps in your modeling at the end, you will be predictive and you will be able to say, Look, if you change this with the drug, you will get that outcome. That's the ultimate goal. And that's why we want to collaborate, because uh, yeah. it's more effective than anything we are doing at the moment.
2: Well that that's the acid test ultimately, isn't it? Yeah. If you can if you can understand what's going on and if you can predict the outcomes of future clinical trials, then then you're in an unbelievable position to that's, develop disease modifying treatments.
1: Everything. It changes everything. It would also it's not only upstream towards therapy, but also to our type of research. There will be a moment, and that's also the vision of the DRI. There is a moment that most of the research will be in silico. So once we have really good models for all these mechanisms, these biological mechanisms, once we have mathematical descriptions of physiological processes you will be much more biologists using all these models to test your hypothesis. And then you will do predictions based on these models. And then based on how high the confidence is in these models, you will either go immediately to human to test it, or maybe you need still this intermediary step. But it will, it, I, I think that in the 10 years I, 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 I foresee for me now still going on. That a lot of the classical biology will be replaced by by this by this combination of, of in silico prediction and then testing. Mm. In twenty years, it's probably going to be the, the classical biologists will, will will be a rare species. <laughs> well,
2: if you listen to some people, artificial intelligence will make us all redundant. But uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you mentioned about um, drug testing and clinical trials. I just wondered what sort of stage we were at with sort of using big data and AI for that. Because um, you were saying maybe you can predict the outcomes of a clinical trial, but at the moment, are you able to use big data to say things like this population might benefit from it more based on these predictions or this risk factor? Are you able to do that right now?
2: Yeah, I think um, we're, we're starting to see... Uh, early examples of data science informed trials recruitment, um, you know targeting more specific populations I mean one of the things that 's really challenged trials in in the dementia field has been the in- incredible cost so having to having to sift through. You know dozens or even a hundred people to to recruit one suitable person for a trial in a targeted fashion that's been incredibly wasteful and then we have a lot of people in trials who don't get worse during a six month or three three year trials period and you're so you're trying to make them better, but actually they, they weren't really the right kind of patient again um a lot of our trials effects that we're trying to discover are kind of watered down by the, the nature of the samples that recruit So, I mean, we, we, we've started to develop uh, different recruitment tools using a data driven approach to try and help with that problem. And I think a lot more can be done there. The, the way in which trials are actually conducted, though, could be very different and there is interest. It's been a bit slow to develop, but um, there is interest in, you know, more targeted treatments and adaptive trials designs. I think that could be transformative, but, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a trivial thing. You think about how how tightly regulated trials are and, and how nervous it's going to make the ethics panels, the idea that, you know, those treatments are going to be decided upon on the fly by an artificial intelligence, a form of, I mean, it you know, it's not going to be easy. Um, but, the, but the potential payoff is, of course, enormous. I mean, why would we not? I mean, clinicians, when they're dealing with patients, they will tailor what they do depending on what the patient needs. And, and why wouldn't we do trials in that kind of way? Um, so, yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while. I think uh, progress in that area has been quite frustratingly slow, I feel.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you find a lot of resistance to AI? You sort of said that the ethics committees might balk at the idea that it would be a machine deciding something. But, I mean, you've said it's just oh. all pattern, pattern recognition, which humans do, and they're not infallible. Well, there should
1: be
2: a lot of resistance to AI, you know, because if you don't understand what it is, then from an ethical perspective, it should raise concerns. And, and let's face it you know a lot of the models that have been built have bias incorporated in them and that could have real world consequences
0: bias because they were built by a human or because no
2: because of the nature of the, it's normally i th- i feel that the bias incorporated in the models is a reflection of the bias incorporated in the data that the models were trained on so if we use a if we use a, a, a nice Easily obtained sample of 10,000 volunteers, then yeah, it's big data. But is that going to work in the general population? And the answer is it will probably serve best the type of people who volunteer for those kinds of research studies. Right. And we, we know that, you know, we're hearing constantly about technologies which potentially disadvantage certain groups. You know, we're all concerned about. Um, I mean, we're we're concerned about unconscious bias more generally in in the workplace, but I think we crystallize biases potentially through the development of models, unless we're very careful about what we're doing. It does go back to that idea of a, a kind of deeper understanding of the data. I think it's a slight variant on what you were saying, Bart, in terms of mechanistic understanding. I think there's also like that kind of broader human understanding of, you know, the limitations of, of data and the limitations of models.
1: I am also thinking about the, the very limit, for me, the biggest limitation in the field is dementia as a disease. So, most of the patients we incorporate in studies, even in genetic studies, are diagnosed based on cognitive um, failure. But so we know that Alzheimer's starts 10, 15 years before you have those those measurements failing. So there are probably other things which we still don't know, which are failing very early on, but nobody's measuring that. So you get a population, where in the control population, there are probably already a lot of people, uh, if you're going a certain age, which have already uh, Alzheimer's disease, but don't show the clinical phenotype. So you get all this, this enrichment of patients in your, in your test, in your control group, and then reverse in your test group, people who are who have cognitive problems but if you are studying Alzheimer's disease which is a quite well defined molecular pathology um, but you take dementia as a as a as the the, um, the readout as the as the paradigm then you will include a lot of people who have dementia but because of another disease alpha cynic uh, tau pathology i mean uh, there are many many causes of dementia and we know that and so that makes Big failures in clinical trials uh, mm. because you treat the patient with a drug which is not really aiming at the molecular biology uh, that's 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 uh, uh, tackled by the drug. And so, this
0: is where uh, AI and machine learning can come in again yes. to but predict uh, early or pick point. up people earlier.
1: Yeah, but I won't just make the point. So if you are in the in in, in machine learning and, and, and data science. You just use the same data as these clinicians or this pharmacological industry is using when they are talking about dementia, and you will will do artificial intelligence and uh, and, and 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 data science on dementia, and not taking into account all this 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 mechanistic very related insight. And so that's also why I think that we need to talk to much, much more. I honestly think that that data science and artificial intelligence is in a very, very, very early phase in in dementia. I I, I, I want to... to, The reason is double. First of all, they came relatively late into dementia. And second, dementia is a very immature field. Uh, the, The knowledge in that field is so much behind anything what we could know if we would have invested more. So uh, that's also one of my favorites. Think about publications in PubMed, which is for me the uh, database, the database of science. So PubMed contains all the publications which are published in, in journals like Nature, Science, but also all the smaller journals. And so you can count the number of papers published with Alzheimer's or with dementia uh, over the, the last hundred years. And you could do the same for cancer and so for for uh, for uh, dementia it 's close to 200,000 200, papers um, and for for cancer it's three point five million so there is a database which is fifteen times bigger for cancer than for 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 alzheimer 's disease um, and so so if you try to use all these data science from cancer into into uh into dementia research, yeah. Well, you have 15 times less good quality because there is also good data are characterized by redundancy. So if you have the data confirmed in two or three independent studies, or a molecular link confirmed in two or three independent studies, that's good data. If you have one single study for the biases that David just mentioned, one single study, then it holds true within that small subgroup where you did your experiments. So in cancer, most of the molecular links are confirmed two, three, four, five times. In dementia, most of the molecular links are confirmed only once. So the data scientist works with those data, which are much weaker than the type of data you can get if you work in the cancer. That chases a lot of people in the data world to the cancer field. There's money to do strange things, and there's much better data. And so that's one of the missions we have with the DRI, to make good quality data available to good data scientists and convince them that it's worthwhile to work with us.
0: In a way, that's a good thing, isn't it, that they've come in earlier so they can influence what data you're collecting yes, and influence the absolutely. clinical pathway so they can influence how you diagnose. So then you've got an early population and cancer yes. would have benefited yes. if it had, had all that, you know, 50 years so,
1: so by doing these initiatives we will catch up with that's that's the, the law of, of um, if you lag behind, it's much easier to catch up than the front line. So we are now catching up. And that will be a revolution in the dementia. I mean I, I think it will
2: I think it'll be better, but only for certain types of people, this environment with dementia research and you know, trying to work differently. I think if you want to If you want to join something far more developed and do something very specific and uh, and 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 target incremental gains, then I think a field like cancer would be would be better for you. But I think the people who want who want to crash about and try things, there's so. I mean, it's not a blank canvas. That would be overstating it. But there's there's so much room for innovation. I think that will be really exciting to you know, the next generation of researcher.
0: Yeah. I want to get back in the lab now. Yeah,
1: Yeah, of course, it's a great time. Really, I'm saying that to all the young people, this is the time. It's the time of brain sciences, because that's also another interesting spin to this whole discussion. So um, artificial intelligence uh, and data science, but artificial intelligence for sure. I mean, the big example is the brain. And so, I mean, if you think about the real exciting Research, which is going to be characterizing this this century, uh, it's the brain. It's brain research. We will understand at the end of this this century, the brain, like we understood at the end of the previous century, the molecular biology, the genetics, the the, 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 the the chromosomes, all these things. This is what will be in the history books in thousand years. They will say that was the 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 century when the brain the human brain was understood, how it works. <coughs> and so people say dementia is a bit depressing um, for several reasons. I, when I started, it was a bit depressing. Uh, uh, there was this taboo around dementia and, and it's, it's really it's descriptive and it's old age and you cannot do anything anymore. I, I don't agree anymore with that type of thinking. This is a very fascinating area of, of research and it's an unknown territory, as David says. So for the real pioneers under us, this is the place to be. And so if you are interested in the brain and you're interested in artificial intelligence, and you want also to do something meaningful for society, apart from doing this basic research, which is absolutely important, but if you want to do it somewhere also in an applied goal, then dementia research is really the place to be. Wow. And I mean it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I believe you. Yeah, I believe you too. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, So we're kind of coming to the end now. Um, are there any other comments you'd like to make about um, collaboration, AI? We haven't really touched that much, actually, on the use of AI in the care sector, which you did kind of mention earlier about um, UTIs and testing. Is there anything you'd like They're to say about
1: that? that? So the yeah. care and tech is already working on that. So they do a lot of... of, of uh, of data science, uh, they have a couple of engineers there, and so they they are thinking about about algorithms, uh, basically. So so you get well, you have these feedback loops, etc. So that's really already uh, quite well going, and and I think we will get very rapidly also interactions with the Daemon network there. Mm-hmm. But I think the big challenge for me is to get sense of all this other data we are generating. It's really. It's such a rich source, the DRI. So we have the sleep research. Sleep is another fascinating area of brain and dementia, et cetera. So we have both, in, um, both basic research in models, but also we have a whole uh, set up on sleep in, 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 in humans. It's a sleep clinic, which records a lot of data. So um, then we have all this. Um, this uh, we have a big brain atlas uh, project where we are going to analyze all the molecular changes over the whole brain over in a couple of uh, brains of patients and so we have all this data so so i mean yeah well try to help us so that the big question we have this mouse modeling where we try to, to to mimic certain aspects of the process we have the human data so how much do they overlap what, what's different, what's similar? That's real, real hard. Well, I don't, I'm, I need to be careful. That's a really hard question to, to crack. Um, and so once that's done, we know what's predictive in the mouse model. So then we can help the data scientists when they make their model in the human data, then we can say in the mouse, we can mimic that part. So it's really an amazing stuff. We are also starting to do gene therapy in patients that will give us a lot of data so if this data, if we find a failure, we want the data scientists coming to our data and helping to explain why did it fail? Why did it work in patient A and not in B? That's a failed drug trial because 50% is 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 is, is absolutely. So, but, but, but help us to understand what's different in patient A versus patient B, and so, so there is such, such so many questions. Um, yeah, so it's a pity we couldn't discuss about all these things, but yeah, <laughs> of course, we
0: can have you on again.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if you want.
0: <laughs> um, David, any final yeah, comments I mean, for you?
2: I mean, I, I it, it's wonderful to hear about you know the exciting things in the pipeline and the opportunities that there are you know within the DRI, but also in partnership with the DRI. Um, I. I I agree with the sense of optimism. I think we're moving away from this kind of fatalistic view of dementia. There will be challenges, of course. We're going to see that the charities, you know, Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, who are two of the three funders of of the DRI, they're going to be struggling. Well, they are struggling at the moment. and, And that will be hitting dementia research funding worldwide. So we need to be realistic about that. I think we just need to, we do need to just think about how we can do things cost effectively and collaboratively. Um, and and I think that that's why there's so much appetite to join the Demon network and to do things in that kind of way. And the, the fact that we're over 600 members and we only launched in November last year is just mind blowing. I didn't know if we'd end up being a little clique of 50. Um, <laughs> Which would, which was not what I wanted, of course, but I think it's been wildly successful, given the the scale of the investment we've put in. Um, so I would just say, you know, if if you're a member of the DRI, or if you're not, um, and you're interested in these kind of issues, then go to demondementia.com and join the Demon Network and start to learn about the opportunities that there are. Start to meet with other people. Who have similar interests or have completely different interests but maybe there's some overlap and maybe that's where the innovation will come from so it's a it's a great time to be doing this stuff and um and again i'm delighted that the demon network is officially partnered with the dri i think i think bart's vision about how to do things differently it it goes beyond just an ambition what we're doing is we're putting in we're changing things in a practical way we're we're putting people in together and we're going to get stuff done so what a time to be involved in dementia research
0: and you said you're uh doing monthly seminars
2: that's right yeah every 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 month and every uh, and every other month will be in collaboration in partnership with the dri and will be relevant to to the, all of the things that they're doing.
0: Okay, so maybe we can get a link for that or something, and put it underneath the podcast.
2: That would be great.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for today. Um, we have profiles on both of our panelists today on the website. If you have anything that you'd like to add on this, please drop us a tweet using hashtag ECR dementia. And also while I have your attention, I'd like to remind you that we have a great website. Uh, dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk register today and you get our weekly updates and we've got daily blogs, events and details of the latest funding calls which is quite important at the moment because it's a bit changeable at the moment Um, so thank you for listening brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.